On June 11, 2021, Natalie Diaz won a Pulitzer Prize for her second poetry collection, Postcolonial Love Poem. Welcome to the third episode of Sharpen Your Tongue with Francesca Capasella and Tori Dickerson. Hey, Francesca. What are you drinking? I am drinking a cocktail that Natalie Diaz posted on her Instagram. We highly recommend heading over to her Instagram if you are in the mood for some good, you know, general poetry content, but also cocktail content. It's uh, gin, lemon juice, peach thyme kombucha, and some other goodies. I think her handle's Ndin. Is that right? N-D-I-N-N. Yes. So today's poem is a Natalie Diaz poem. Um, it's from her second collection, Postcolonial Love Poem. Um, Natalie Diaz was born and raised in the Fort Mojave Indian Village, and she teaches at Arizona State University in the Creative Writing MFA program. Um, this poem is called They Don't Love You Like I Love You. Um, there's a there's an asterisk at the end of this poem which tells you that the italicized words with the exception of the final stanza come from the yeah, yeah, yeah song maps. Um, And I'll try to put emphasis on those words when I read it, but it's a little hard to tell. So look it up if you're, if you're wondering which lines come from that song. Um, Okay. They don't love you. Like I love you by Natalie Diaz. My mother said this to me long before Beyonce lifted the lyrics from the yeah, yeah, yeah's. And what my mother meant by don't stray was that she knew all about it, the way it feels to need someone to love you, someone not your kind, someone white, someone, some many who live because so many of mine have not, and further live on top of those of ours who don't. I'll say, 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 I'll say, say, say. What is the United States if not a clot of clouds, if not spilled milk or blood, if not the place we once were in the millions? America is maps. Maps are ghosts, white and layered with people and places I see through. My mother has always known best, knew that I'd been begging for them to lay my face against their white laps, to be held in something more than the loud light of their projectors of themselves. They flicker sepia or blue all over my body. All this time, I thought my mother said, wait, as in give them a little more time to know your worth. When really she said, wait, meaning heft preparing me for the yoke of myself, the beast of my country's burdens, which is less worse than my country's plow. Yes, when my mother said, they don't love you like I love you, she meant Natalie. That doesn't mean you aren't good. This um, is probably like possibly one of my favorite poems of all time well definitely one of my favorite poems of all time maybe my favorite poem of all time and I'm not exactly sure why except that that last stanza I always want to cry when I read it um but why don't we start with the the asterisks the reference to the yeah yeah yeah's the reference to Beyonce um what's going on here with this conversation with between music and poetry I'm not sure about, you know, 
the conversation between music and poetry right off the bat, but it immediately puts you in this mind space of borrowing words from others, which I think sets up the rest of the poem. Yeah, that like, um, first of all, there's like this kind of cycle of stealing or or taking, I guess like this almost, uh, maybe a recycling going on with her mother says these words, they don't love you like I love you originally. And then the yeah, yeah, yeahs say them. And then Beyonce lifts them from the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And then Natalie Diaz, the poet, who it seems is also the narrator here, is then lifts more lyrics from the yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this, the kind of like, um, the phrases of this poem have been used and appropriated more than once in in multiple contexts, um, which I think is like, says something powerful about how art is is often in conversation with other art or is reworking other art. Um, but there's also the more sinister side of, you know, Beyonce lifts the lyrics from the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And there's, you know, that that implication of like petty thievery going on there. And, and theft, of course, being a really important part of this poem when we think about the colonization and the white, um, the, the genocide of native people by white people in this poem, the, the things having been stolen is, is both a part of art and also a very sinister part of history. Um, I'm also just thinking about that word lifted, which is such an interest. I mean, it's not that Beyonce stole the lyrics, it's that she lifted them. And we have that weight come in later, the, the heaviness, the yoke. Um, and so that the idea of lifting of everything being difficult to carry almost is, is there from that first stanza. That's really interesting. And also, um, in addition to all of your really great points about how it sort of, you know, sets us up to really consider what is owned, what is stolen, what is lifted in this poem. It also sort of marks it from the beginning for me, at least as a really contemporary poem. Allusions are obviously a really prevalent device in all forms of art, literature in particular, and poetry in particular, but rather than, you know, allusions to Dante and T.S. Eliot's work, this is an allusion to pop culture songs that many people um, reading this poem would be familiar with. And it just sort of, I think there's something really cool. I think it puts you in that headspace right away of though there are elements, very important elements of history and acknowledgement of the past in this poem, there's something current unfolding in this problem as well. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, Let's talk about Beyonce and the yeah, yeah, yeahs. So the yeah, yeah, yeahs, this reference is to this song Maps, um, which has the repeated line, they don't love you like I love you, um, in it. And from what I've read about it, it has a kind of famous music video. And apparently um, the, the, the person who the song is about, it's kind of a sad love song asking someone to stay is sort of how I would characterize it. Um, and it's the, the person who the song was about was supposed to be at the music video recording and wasn't. And so apparently the performance that the lead singer Karen O gave is supposed to be incredibly touching because 
it's both like she's performing for the camera, but there's also this genuine sadness going on. And apparently she's, she cries in the music video and apparently it's a natural crying. Um, And whether that's true or not, is like sort of beside the point. That's the lore of the music video is that it's melding reality and art together. Um, And then beyond the Beyonce song that this references is a song called hold up. Um, which again, just holding up, I mean, lifting, carrying yoke weight, there's that again there. Um, but it's off of, um, Beyonce's famous visual album, Lemonade, which is about, um, her husband, Jay-Z's infidelity. And that song hold up also repeats the line. They don't love you. Like I love you. And it's sort of like, what are you doing with other women? I'm the one who loves you the most. And is it had it's more upbeat than the other song, I guess. Um, but what do you make of those two songs in the context of this poem? I don't know. There's something about they don't love you like I love you. Like th- th- something about that line, really, there's a, a they in it. And I think that's really interesting. Um, like they don't love you like I love you. There's a question of two others in a way and sort of taking ownership of the people who are close to you, whether it's a marriage, whether it's... Um, the love of a mother, whether it's um, a people that you belong to. And then of course it's cast into, you know, even starker relief when you consider the very apparent theme of colonization that appears shortly after that first stanza in this poem. Yeah, absolutely. We we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but the, um, so there's that repeated line in the word in the, in the song maps Karen O repeats this the line map several times and she just kind of sings that that word and it it's sort of almost out of context um but we were talking about how one possible interpretation is that it's kind of referring to the sort of traveling lifestyle of, of a, a musician and the kind of like um in the sense of of a lack of place of a kind of impermanence and i think that gets back to this question of identity. Also, if you think about Karen O's actual biography, that her mother is South Korean and her father is Polish, but I think she grew up for them, at least for the most part in America, there's a kind of, um, there's a transience there as well. That is kind of this, this trying to find your place on a map, but always being kind of moved around. And I think that's, that's interesting within the context of this poem, because of course we're going to get into it the the meaning of maps more um so i'm just starting in the fifth stanza or so she writes what is the united states if not a clot of clouds if not spilled milk or blood if not the place we once were in the millions america is maps maps are ghosts white and layered with people and places i see through My mother has always known best, knew that I'd been begging for them to lay my face against their white laps, to be held in something more than the loud light of their projectors of themselves. They flicker sepia or blue all over my body. That and that sort of ending stanza there, which is not the end of the poem, but there's a there's almost like a lack of punctuation that I keep tripping up on when I read where there's this, the loud light. Okay. We've got the alliteration there. Um, the loud light of their projectors 
of themselves, they flicker. There is no comma in that entire line. And there's almost something of it, like there's a kind of layering, I think, going on in the language there where it's like loud light, we're building sonically. And then the projectors of themselves, they flicker. It's like, we're getting one idea just put on top of another with no breaking up of it, um, which I think gets back to this, the actual image that she's describing of the projection of the layering of, of different things on top of each other. Um, but what, what do you make of this kind of description of maps? America is maps, maps are ghosts, white and layered. Well, you get maps are ghosts, white and layered, you immediately understand that maps, um, whether they're current maps, historical maps, there's their indicators of history. And they're sort of, I guess, there's almost like historical documents of the victors in a way. Um, the people, you know, we know history is told by the victors and history maps are drawn by the victors, I guess. And in this case, white and layered with people and places I see through. It's that colonization and She's creating this really wonderful um, transparency, um, a clot of clouds, spilled milk, blood. She goes right into it. She's like, this is the result of a violent conquest, um, a violent, like a terrible genocide that resulted in these maps. But I see through them to the original, which was my land, my people, my history, my mother. Um, And I love that she puts it in this, the the visual of projectors where we can draw maps as much as we want, but the truth is buried underneath. And if you look, they're fairly see-through. Yeah. And that like, I like that when you were talking about her mother, like the, the temporal nature of this poem is really interesting because we go from like the, um, hundreds of years of colonization to her mother in one stanza and her mother had has always known best which makes it seem like her mother has known best for hundreds of years like since the beginning of colonization which is this interesting like the the her mother's knowledge is so expansive that it seems to occupy more than just like a human lifetime um and even with the like my mother said this to me long before beyonce lifted the lyrics from the yeah yeah, yes i mean yeah beyonce lifted those lyrics like that wasn't i don't know when lemonade came out but five years ago. So it's not yeah. 2017. Um, so four years ago, I can't do math. Um, so, so like, yes, it, it makes sense that her mother would have said that beforehand, but it even feels like her mother said those lines before the yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it seems like her mother has always said those lines. Like it seems that that knowledge is really, um, kind of infinite and, um, I don't know, timeless. And then also those images that you were talking about, the clot of clouds, the spilled milk, so often in um, white or Western literature, the um, like whiteness is, is associated with beauty or positive images or purity, clouds, like things like that. And, and darkness or brownness or blackness is associated with, with negative imagery. And she really gets at the grossness of whiteness. I feel like here, a clot of clouds. I mean, plot is just such a disgusting word to me. Um, and, and clouds are beautiful, but then when you get a clot of them, they're not so beautiful. And, and there's a kind of, there is something I think a little bit grotesque about whiteness in this poem. And the whiteness obscures 
Um, a clot of clouds obscures a blue sky, um, spilled milk obscures whatever I guess it was spilled on. Um, and then she brings in the projectors of themselves. They flicker. It's um, the whiteness is. Yeah, it's a projection. It's um, this overlay over the real maps that obscures reality. Um, it obscures I would imagine it, it absolutely indigenous history and it also obscures um, the land itself. I also like how um, obviously what is the United States, if not a clot of clouds is an incredible line, but the use of the word clot too calls back to blood and genocide um, and that really intentional wording. Yeah. And the the projector, I mean, that's so when you use a projector, you project video right which is like presumably some kind of art and it also goes back to like the music video that we talked about at the beginning like the the ways that there's all these different media at play here um okay okay let's let's decode the kind of last three or so stanzas of the poem which i think are the the hardest to decode um all this time i thought my mother said wait as in give them a little more time to know your worth. When really she said, wait, meaning heft, preparing me for the yoke of myself, the beast of my country's burdens, which is less worse than my country's plow. Let's just map out that image for a second. So we have um, three things going on and it's all describing this image of like a plow being led by a horse or a mule and the the yoke being the tether attaching the the animal to the um machine sort of which is i mean kind of an interesting idea anyway um so there's the yoke of myself which i think is the weight of of the poet, of the poet's life, of the poet's history, of the poet's community. Um, And then there's the beast of my country's burdens, which seems to me to be the ox or the mule or the donkey or the horse. Um, The beast of burden being the thing that's being, that's leading the plow, that's that's bringing along the equipment, that's carrying something. Again, that idea of carrying, um, which is less worse than my country's plow. That double negative, and we can talk about why she uses that, but that double negative meaning is better in some capacity, like in some way better than my country's plow. So the the donkey, the beast of our country's burden, the thing leading the country's burden is somehow better than her country's plow. The thing that breaks up the dirt so that new seeds can be planted. What do you make of that? Why is the country's burden less worse than the country's plow? Yeah. The first place I went to was sort of like taking up space, um, particularly because of the repetition of maps in this poem um, of the actual, you know, space. And then we also think about how, you know, colonization is a taking over of land um, for agriculture, for ownership, um, for profit. So then you have her weight meaning heft preparing me for the yoke of myself for the the beast of my country's burdens which is less worse than my country's plow and it's like having so much of myself be this bearer of the country's burden is difficult it's cumbersome but it's less worse than being the plow 
that comes behind it, this sort of mindless machine thing that divides and turns over the land for profit. And I just the imagery itself too, really, it does, you know, you think of that sort of early agricultural imagery. Um, so that sort of recalling to the early days of settlement um, is really poignant as well. Yeah. And what you just said reminded me that like the plow actually makes lines on the earth the way that like you draw lines on a map. Like there's the, that when you said breaking up or dividing the land, like it literally is like drawing these delineations, which is the like role of colonizers to like name. I mean, to name, to use words, right? Like to, to assign meaning, to project, um, to draw lines. Like, yeah, I think that's really good. And then also just thinking about like the actual labor of agriculture, which like, of course, was done primarily by enslaved people. Like it wasn't done, including, I think, in some instances, Native people who were enslaved. It wasn't done by, I mean, it was done by animals, but it was also done by lots of people who were treated like animals. Anything else you want to add? She speaks about this yearning that her mother anticipates that she'll have. She says, don't stray. Um, she reminds her daughter of the way it feels to need someone to love you, someone not, and then this is italicized, your kind, someone white, um, someone, some many who live because so many of mine have not. That to me recalls like several things, this nature of like, don't stray. It's like far from your home, um, far from me, your mother. And in that sense, you know, it's impossible not to think about the way that indigenous people were forced into territories forced out of their own. Um, And then this concept of what is ours takes on the nature of her mother's arms. It's a people because a place has been ripped almost. Um, Her mother had to say like, they don't love you like I love you. Like I will love you. Um, The act of colonizing is not something that happened and then was done. It is still happening to this day. And bringing her mother into it in that really wonderful sense. You were like, you're, the, the, her mother's words were timeless. They were have always been said, and not just even in this lifetime, not even just in the last couple decades of when these songs came out. They've always been said. They were always her mother's words. Um, and then it brings it to that last stanza. She meant, Natalie, that doesn't mean you aren't good. I don't know. I'm not articulating it very well, but sort of the persistence of the original problem, um, the maps that have been drawn, um, the whiteness that still obscures, still obscures everything, um, the importance of family and self and identity amongst all of that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That last line just kills me. I guess it's because you have that. There's a certain amount there's, there's like a seeing and a blindness, I think in this poem, like you have like the poet is able to see through the layers of the maps. Um, but there's also this like obscuring that we talked about, like with the projector, with the poet's body being covered in the sepia and blue lights. Like sepia reminds me of nostalgia, like that kind of like the nostalgia for the early days of America, which is obviously like a very violent kind of nostalgia. Um, and then the, the projector sepia and blue, like bruises all over her body. Like, there's this obscuring of her. Um, and, and then that final moment is just this moment of like complete clarity where her mother sees her and says, that doesn't mean you aren't good. Like, like, and, and it's almost like, it's almost like she's being lifted out of all of these narratives, these like white, these Western narratives and, 
and actually just existing as a human being. And there's something like, I don't know, I find that line so powerful. I think the use of her name in that line is really incredible too. I mean, at least off the top of my head, I can only think of so many poems that say the poet's name in them. Um, granted, I don't have an excellent memory either, so that might not be. <laughs> um, it, right, it is. A, it's a claiming of the identity, but I then I think when it's also put against, it's her mother's words, her mother's words that have always been her mother's words that are italicized as the lines from the Yaya's are italicized. It's almost like her mother's words take on the weight of a literary illusion. They always have been. They're um, worth referencing in art. Um, and they're like this affirmation of self. I think it just, it is, it is like that one of those lines that like gets you like a little choked up, but it's almost, um, you really have to unpack it to figure out like why it hits so hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, that's so true. And, and that she's names like I love what you said about the mother, like it being worthy of illusion and it becoming the song. Like it's no longer, we're no longer quoting the song and that it becomes like its kind of own song. And then that she, we started with in the first stanza, we get my mother, Beyonce and the yeah, yeah, yeahs. And in the last stanza, we get Natalie. We've come to the point, we found the poet kind of by the end of this poem. Yeah. She's almost like drawn us like a map to herself um, and gotten rid of the oppressive maps and is sort of her own identity is mapped by Beyonce, the yeah, yeah, yeahs and her mother, which I yeah. love. I love this poem. Um, Francesca gave me um, Natalie Diaz's post-colonial love poems for my birthday. And I just fell in love with her work. And this one is so amazing. Um, definitely up there for me as well. And really wonderful to talk about. So thank you, Francesca. Thank you, Tori. Yeah, Natalie Diaz is one of my favorites. And her first collection, which is called When My Brother Was an Aztec, I think, is freaking brilliant as well. I teach some of Natalie Diaz's poems from When My Brother Was an Aztec as a sort of 13 ways of looking at a blackbird because she's tackling her brother and specifically her brother's drug addiction, but she uses such different imagery and metaphors in each poem um, that it's almost like it's a, it's a really an exercise in like seeing from different perspectives. Um, so that's worth checking out as well. Tori, what are you reading? I am reading The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune. So fun. It was also a recommendation from Francesca. She is the source of much of my reading and <laughs> is nothing short of a delight. I highly recommend it to everyone out there. It's just so like much pure joy. It's like the perfect pandemic rate, I think. It's excellent. Heaven. How about you? What are you reading right now? I'm reading um, Andrea or Andrea, I don't know how to say their name, Lawler's Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl, which is freaking amazing. Um, I'm reading it really slowly and it's just divine. And I'm finishing up Invisible Man for my adult literature class. Still think that Invisible Man is the most undermated book of all time. It's so brilliant. I I love it. It's probably one of my top five. Amazing. I still need to read that one. Okay, everyone. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. Uh, and we'll catch you all next week on Sharpen Your Tongue.